Good morning. Did you have a nice Thanksgiving? We went to Little Rock to be with family, and uh, it was a long drive home yesterday in the rain, but we made it back. We're glad to see you. We hope that you had a, a nice Thanksgiving with your family uh, yesterday. Really excited about beginning this Advent season. I'm titling the sermon series uh, for Advent, Christmas for the Rest of Us. And today I'm calling the message, Advent, Advent is for Longing. The reading for the Word today comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. God's people did say, Amen. I like Christmas movies. Last night when we got home, I watched for the 10th time, 20th time, Buddy the Elf. It's actually, I think, Rachel's favorite Christmas music movie. She told me this. I love this scene when Buddy gets so excited because he finds out that Santa is going to be in the department store. And then he realizes that the Santa on the throne is an imposter. Do you remember the scene? He goes up and he whispers into Santa's ear, you're sitting on a throne of lies. I love it. He goes, you even smell bad. <laughs> he says, you smell like beef and cheese. And then there's this huge fight, you know, and the next thing you know, Buddy's in jail and having to call the father, his biological father, who has earlier rejected him. Have you noticed that almost all the Christmas movies that we watch have a consistent theme? In every one of them, there is some sort of disappointment that takes place in the movie. All of them. Something happens that wrecks their perfect Christmas. All Ralphie wants for Christmas is a BB gun, and then he shoots himself in the eye. George Bailey, the guy who does everything right his whole life, goes bankrupt in his business and attempts to jump off a bridge and take his life. Charlie Brown tells Linus, he says, I think there must be something wrong with me. 
Christmas is coming, but I'm not happy. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to. You've seen Christmas Vacation? That was one of my dad's favorite movies. And everybody has an Uncle Eddie, right? Maybe you're Uncle Eddie. Maybe I am. I don't know. But I, I love that movie, the scene where at the end he has been waiting for the Christmas bonus to arrive because Clark is going to build a new pool for his family. He's going to fly everybody in for the pool dedication. He's written a big check to make a down payment on the pool that he can't cash without his bonus check. And then he opens it up and he finds out that he's gotten a jam of the month club for the rest of the year. And it sets in motion a whole bunch of just terrible events where he ends up kidnapping his boss and almost getting arrested. Do you remember Kevin from Home Alone? Kevin's left Home Alone at Christmas. And there's this one tender scene in the movie that always connects with me. Kevin has been alone. He's feeling lonely without his family. He walks into a church on Christmas Eve. The snow is falling, and he sits next to an older man. And the older man says... This time of year makes me feel so sad because I haven't spoken to my son in years. I think there's a lot of people who probably feel the same way. There's a lot of people for whom Christmas is a sad time. I mean, let's think about it. Even the Grinch can't get it right. The Grinch tries to ruin Christmas. He tries to stop it from coming, and he gets his Christmas plans ruined because Christmas comes anyway. So I'm calling this series Christmas for the Rest of Us because it's a series for people who are not going to have a perfect Christmas this year, which is who? All of us. None of us will be having a Hallmark Christmas, really. I mean, if you watched a Hallmark movie, I mean, they're sweet, they're feel-good movies, but in a Hallmark Christmas movie, all the problems are solved within 90 minutes. Nobody's going to have a Christmas Hallmark Christmas this year, right? And have you seen those perfect Christmas letters that you get in the mail from your friends? How their grandkids are perfect students and, you know, they made honor roll and how their daughter-in-law got the big promotion at work and their son was man of the year as a volunteer in their community and how they all took this very perfect vacation and they all wearing matching outfits and you're thinking, who are these people? They're not really my friends. And have you seen the Lexus commercial? I, they do it every year. I'm thinking, who are these people that give a Lexus for Christmas? And notice, I want you to notice who they are. They're airbrushed people. They're in their 30s. They live in a house, a beautiful home. And they surprise one another with matching Lexuses with a big bow on top. You know, if I were to give my wife a Lexus for Christmas, do you know what it would be like for me? It would be a moment of great joy followed by a large payment in January that went on for 72 months. <laughs> I don't know who those people are. That's not my Christmas. This really is a Christmas for the rest of us, which is really all of us. For those of us who have tension in our families, for those of us who have kids that are struggling in school to fit in and to find their place and make their grades. For those of us who don't have a perfect job. 
for those of us who are uncertain about our future because of medical bills or because of our health, for those of us who at this time of year feel like we're bending under pressure. I I spoke with a woman, an older woman, after the first service who came up and thanked me for this message. She said, David, would you please pray for my daughter? She's a single mom, and she has two children who are teenagers who are autistic, and she's just having a really tough time this Christmas. Christmas for the rest of us, us is for those who are not sure what we believe, who have doubts and fears. For those of us who will be sitting at a Christmas table this year, but this year there will be an empty chair. Christmas for the rest of us is a series. It's about Christmas for those of us who feel this pressure to be social and happy when we don't feel happy and we don't feel social at Christmas. Back to Christmas Vacation. I I love that movie. My dad and I watched it, and we would laugh. It was so funny. And and I was going to show a clip to illustrate the point of the sermon. I was going to show that clip. You remember Clark is standing and he's about to carve the turkey. He's standing in front of a full table of people and his Aunt Bethany is there and she's 80 years old and she can't hear. And he says, in honor of Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think Aunt Bethany should say grace. And she says, grace has been dead for 30 years. (laughs) Grace, say grace. And then she bows her head, they hold her hands, serene moment. And then she says, I pledge allegiance to the flag. And you know, when I first wanted to show that clip, I I was going to laugh. I I thought it was funny. And then I realized it's not really very funny. Because there will be a lot of people sitting in our sanctuaries this Christmas who are struggling with family members that they're losing to dementia. And they're just slowly slipping away in front of them. Sarah Bessie wrote a really great blog about Advent and Christmas. I really encourage you to look up Sarah Bessie and look up her blog on Advent. And this is what she she asked this question. She says, does Advent make sense when our world is on fire? And then she talks about the personal concerns that people have. But then she talks about the world and what's happening in our own country. The animosity, the strife, the division the fear, the anxiety, uh, the problem with refugees around the world, school shootings, and on and on. Does it make sense, she asks. Well, the message for this morning for the rest of us is, is that the first Christmas wasn't perfect either. And, and I want to tell you how this story begins in Luke. It's really interesting how it begins in the Gospel of Luke. Those first words we read in the days of Herod the king, in some translations is in the days of Herod the great. We read that and, and we, it doesn't put fear in us. It doesn't make us think of anything other than biblical filler material. We think of the Christmas play that we went to with children in it. The little boy who played the king, maybe he had a crown. They didn't quite fit his head and didn't get his lines right. But Herod wasn't so great. Even though Herod built projects, building a massive building program during his reign as king all over Israel, he built an incredible fortress at Masada on top of a mountain. An incredible architectural achievement. He built a fortress for himself just outside of Jerusalem, between Jerusalem and Bethlehem called Herodium, where he could go in the event of an attack on Jerusalem. 
And he built an amazing seaport called Caesarea by the Sea. We can go there today and we can travel and we can see all these beautiful sights and walk through the ruins. And we can also walk through the ruins of the temple, which he built. He expanded the Temple Mount and renovated the great temple in Jerusalem. But how did he build it? On the backs of his people. He taxed his people into poverty for his grandiose architecture. And not only was he not great in that way, he was also just a bloodthirsty person who killed anyone who dare opposed him or was a threat to him. He killed his own wife. He executed his own children. He took his own opponents to his pool in Caesarea by the sea, lured them into the pool, and there he would have them drowned. And then if you read the Gospel of Matthew, you will hear that upon the birth of Jesus and hearing the news, there was the slaughter of the innocents and there was wailing in Bethlehem because he had all the children under the age of two, infant boys, executed. He was so despised in, in, in Israel that he knew that when he died, no one would mourn his death. And according to the great historian Josephus, he ordered that on the day that he, would, that he died, that all, every family, every family in Israel would have a member of their family put to death so that there would be mourning in Israel. Oh, I want you to think about this. The first Christmas begins with us hearing the story of a man who prayed on the poor, prayed on the sick, was violent and bloodthirsty. And then there's the couple. The first couple in the story. I mean, if you're going to pick a couple to begin a story with, why not pick the couple from the December to remember, right? Let that perfect couple be the first couple to hear the good news. You know, they got, they're the ones that Christmas is for, right? The people who have it all together, wearing the matching outfits, who have everything just going perfectly, no problems, everything's great. You would pick that couple, but no. The first couple picked to hear, the first couple to hear. The good news that something was about to happen was Elizabeth and Zechariah. And Luke tells us they were advanced and aged. It means they were really old. And tells us that they were barren and not able to have children. Do you know why I, why I connect with this so much? Because I think that this story... I love beginning with this story at Advent because it acknowledges the pain of infertility. That at Christmas, every Christmas, we have families sitting in our sanctuaries who want to have children but can't. And the pain of it, of sitting in a sanctuary and thinking that maybe that Christmas is not for us, that Christmas is for children, or for older people who sit in our sanctuaries who feel that Christmas has passed them by. They're older, their time has passed. Whenever I call my mom at Christmas and my mom, there's always a bit of sadness in her voice because she feels that Christmas has passed her by because her kids are grown and gone, and now there are no, there's no more laughter in her home on Christmas morning. Think about that. In our sanctuary on Sunday morning are people who feel that Christmas has passed them by. They were just two ordinary people 
who got up every day and did the right thing and lived a good life. I was trying to think of a person in our church that I might connect this to, and I thought about a person who I bet nobody here in this sanctuary has ever met Jack Montgomery. Jack Montgomery sat in the middle of this sanctuary, in this middle row here, on the middle of the pew here, every Sunday for 15 years. I did Jack's funeral about three weeks ago, and there was hardly anyone here. Very few people even noticed his passing. His wife had friends here, but Jack had no friends here. Jack pretty much kept himself and lived a pretty lonely and alone life. I found out after doing the funeral that there was some estrangement in Jack's family. But Jack was here every Sunday. He got up and he came every Sunday. And he had a job that no one even noticed. They didn't notice that he did it and didn't notice when he didn't do it anymore. What Jack did was there was these little pew pads. Remember in the old days of black pew pads that you'd put in a pew with a pencil in it and you would sit down and you would write your name and let us know that you were here and then you would let us know if you were a guest or if you wanted the minister to call on you or to change your email, the black pew pad. Who do you think put them in our pews? Jack. And his wife asked me, do you want his pencils and his pencil sharpener? That was his job. When I think about the rest of us, I think about Jack. I think about Jack, who was an unnoticed, ordinary, faithful person who came every day. And it is to a Jack, to a Zachariah and Elizabeth, that the first good news absolutely came. It's Christmas for the rest of us. So let's look at what happened then. So Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were born into a family of priests. And as a family of priests, the priesthood, the family, they were responsible for taking care of temple worship. And there were thousands of them, and not everyone would get to serve in the temple. And it was a real honor to serve in the temple. And the way you were chosen to serve on some occasion is they would, you know, draw your name out of a hat and you got to go to the temple. And so one day, Zachariah his name is drawn out of the hat. And it says he goes to the temple to burn incense. I wondered, what does that mean to burn incense? What was he doing in the temple? Well, it represented prayer. He was representing the people before God, and he was, he was lighting uh, an incense, and what he was doing as the smoke would rise up and the scent would rise up, it would be the prayers of the people, hoping that the prayers of the people would reach up to God's ears and that God would hear their prayers. And then it says that gathered outside, there was a whole group of people assembled who were praying. What this is, is Zechariah was praying. The people were praying. Now, it's a significant. Why do we light candles at Advent? Advent is the darkest time of the year. We enter the darkest season of the year. It's symbolic of the world we live in that's less than perfect and that our lives are less than perfect. And as the days get darker, we light candles and every Sunday when we light a candle, we light a candle of hope or love or peace and what we're doing is we're asking we're lifting, we're asking, God, hear our prayers, see our little light here that we're lighting, remember us, 
and hear our prayers. What do you think they were praying about? What do you think Zechariah was praying about? You know, when I read the story, I wondered what he was praying about. It says in the story that the angel says, God has heard your prayer. You're going to have a baby. And I thought, I wonder if that was his prayer. It would have been interesting if it wasn't, wouldn't it? And can you imagine going home and explaining all this to his wife? He couldn't because he couldn't speak. But what if he was praying for something else and God said, you're going to have a baby? I mean, would you want to have a baby at 80? Maybe not. But what, what were they praying for? They were praying for the same things that we pray for. They were praying for their families. They were praying for their friends. They were lifting up their own personal concerns, their fears, their worries, their health. They were praying for their country. Their country was ruled by impolite people, cruel people. And the religious people, the religious people uh, who ran the temple themselves, instead of opposing Herod, they cooperated and went along. It's not hard to imagine what they were praying for. Let me ask you, when it comes to your life, what are you longing for and what are you praying for? Advent is the time to lean into our longing. When it comes to our world, what are you longing for? Sarah Bessie, this is what she said again. She said that uh, in her blog, she says that Advent is for the longing if Christmas is for the joy. That Advent is the time of walking into the darkness and to, to feel what we need to feel so that we will know and recognize our need for God in the world. My in-laws, uh, Curtis and Nancy, Teresa's parents, wonderful people. We had a great Thanksgiving dinner. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't exactly call them hip hipsters or hip people. Um, I didn't get permission. Is this okay? She doesn't know what I'm going to say. But, uh, you know, when we're there, we watch Andy Griffith's show. We watch Green Acres. When I ride around in my father-in-law's truck, we listen to Willie Nelson and to Gene Autry, Roy Rogers. Um, they, they don't necessarily live in the 21st century in that sense. So it's always interesting when they pick out a movie for us to go see as a family because they don't read reviews. They picked out a movie, and it was a great choice, though. We went to see Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Have you seen that? I thought it was really, really good. It was really, really simple, really, really beautiful. It tells the story of Mr. Rogers in a fictional account uh, that was inspired by his relationship with a hard-line journalist that changed the journalist's life. It's all about anger and strife within families, and about paying attention to our feelings and acknowledging our feelings. And he says, if we can acknowledge them, they are manageable. If we can, man we can talk about them, and if we talk about what we feel, we can deal with them. But if we don't talk about what's inside of us, we can never deal with them. It was a really wonderful movie that just talked about sheer human, the sheer human goodness of another human being. And there was a moment in the movie that really touched me. Mr. Rogers gets on the subway in New York City and a little girl says, hey, Mr. Rogers. And then everybody on the subway sing, it's a wonderful day in the neighborhood, a wonderful, you know, and they're singing, won't you be mine? Won't you? 
be mine. And I was so touched to see strangers, different people coming together in community because of just the simple goodness of this man. You know what I loved about the movie? I loved the movie because we live in a country right now that is filled with so much division and anger and hatred and strife and so many problems that it seems that we just can't resolve them. There's so much tension, so much loss. We have so, we have so much. We're the richest nation in the world, but we can't seem to manage our anger or our feelings. And when I saw this, this singing, it made me cry. It made me feel longing for just people to be simply good people and the power of goodness. Back to Sarah Bessie, um, she said this. She says, the reason we enter into Advent is precisely because we are paying attention. It's because everything hurts. It's because everything hurts that we prepare for Advent. It's because we have stood in hospital rooms and gravesides, empty churches and quiet bedrooms that we lay out our candles and our matches. Advent matters because it's our way of keeping our eyes and our hearts and our arms all open wide, even in the midst of our grief and longing. And she writes, Advent is for the ones who know longing. Do you know longing? I know you do. The problem with Christmas is that we go to Christmas too quickly. We sing the Christmas carols too quickly. We celebrate too quickly. And as a result, what happens is Christmas becomes an escape. And if Christmas is an escape, it's not the real Christmas. Because what we learn from the Christmas story and the Christmas narratives, it's for the rest of us. It's for all of us. And the best way to experience Christmas is not to distance ourselves from the problems of our world, but to embrace them, to feel them, and to long for God to make himself known in them. Do you know what Zechariah means, his name means in Hebrew? It means God remembers. Do you know what Elizabeth means? God keeps God's promises. God keeps God's promises.